Welcome to the most energetic, positive, happy, and healthy podcast in the world. Living the dream. Dream stands for diet, rest, exercise, attitude, and meaning. I'm your host, certified health coach, motivational speaker, sober since July of 2016, American Ninja Warrior competitor, two-time world record holder, and ultra-marathoner, Matt Scaletti. Here we go! Welcome back to the Live in the Dream podcast. I'm your host, Matt Scaletti, and what an awesome guest we have today. It's going to be a treat. For over nine years, Elvira Guzman worked alongside comedian, actor, and author Steve Harvey. That is right, the Steve Harvey. I cannot wait to ask her about that. She started her own company, LVGPR, at the age of 22 and was named the fastest growing PR firm in Hollywood by Sister to Sister magazine. She's considered one of the future 15 Latino entrepreneurs and has authored four books while also guest lecturing at USC, UCLA, and Loyola Marymount. She is a motivational speaker, brand strategist, TV host, an all-around amazing woman. Welcome to the show, Elvira. Thank you so much for having me, Matt. I'm excited. This is going to be a lot of fun. So let's let's start with your background and where were you born? What was your upbringing like? Because I don't even know a lot about it myself, so I'm excited to learn with all the listeners. Thank you. So um, I was born and raised in Covina, California, which is one city over from Azusa, where ironically Tony Robbins is from. So I ended up going to high school and middle school in Azusa. And at that time, um, it was a bit difficult, I will say. Uh, There was a big gang uh, in Azusa that they caused a lot of trouble. And in particular, they didn't Um, like African-Americans and the school that I went to it was just uh, Latinos African-Americans and Asians and so I experienced I would say a lot of chaos because of that Um, my friends some of my friends were black some of my my best friend was half black half Mexican and so I will say that I dealt with a lot of chaos but it did prepare me for the future Um, once I started working with Steve Harvey at 18 every single obstacle that I had encountered before came in handy. And so I will say that I'm grateful for my upbringing. I went to Gladstone High School. Um, I had a 4.2 GPA growing up. And yeah, I I did go through several obstacles, like um, my parents being incarcerated, um, my grandparents passing away, my uncle committing suicide um, because he was bipolar. Um, So by the time I was 18, I definitely knew that I needed education because education was going to be my way out of that neighborhood and a way out of the depression and anxiety that I was experiencing. Elvira, wow, what uh, just an incredible upbringing with setbacks and you plowed forward through it all. How did you know that education was the way out? It just seemed like you had such wisdom at a young age. How did you know that? Thank you so much. Um, I would accredit that to my parents. Ever since I was young, my parents wouldn't allow me to watch TV all day. Instead, they got us encyclopedias and they made us read them. And my parents would always tell me that 
they didn't come to this country for me to be a housekeeper or to be a housewife. They said they wanted me to be something great in this world to help others. And they always instilled in me that education was the way out. Unfortunately for my mom, uh, because her dad died when she was seven years old, she only had a fifth grade education. My dad left Mexico when he was 17 years old. And of course, education is something he wished he could have had. But when he got here, he had to immediately start working. So when it came to me, my parents always instilled in me that education was my key so that I didn't have to work as hard as they have. That is great, great advice. And it sounds like it really, really worked. Now, I want to hear about Steve Harvey. But since we're on the education front, maybe we can start there. And can you tell us a little bit about, I believe you went to USC and you may have had some interesting stories when you got in there. But can you tell us about the leap from high school to USC and how your experience was there? Yeah, for sure. So in high school, my parents were incarcerated and I had to do, uh, I would say, everything on my own. I did have my older sister at the time who was 21 and she had just graduated from USC and she was going to start to be an elementary school teacher. And so um, at the time when I wanted to go to USC, I went to my counselor and I said, um, I have a 4.2 GPA, I'm, I play volleyball, first team, um, all conference, I believe that I can make it. And she just looked at me and she looked at my file and she seen that my parents were incarcerated and she told me that USC was not for people like me, that instead I should try and get a job or I should go to a community college and see if that's something that I wanted to pursue. And it really broke my heart. Um, when you're younger, you look up to older people, especially your counselors and teachers, and you kind of take what they say to heart because you feel like they want what's best for you when necessarily that may not be it. And so the first two years of my college education, I went to a community college. It's called Mount San Antonio College. And I proceeded to get straight A's there. And the way that it helped me is because at the very end, I don't have any student debt. I was able to transfer over to USC with more units than I needed. And I actually could have graduated USC in one more year. So I could have graduated in three years from college. But my mentors at that time were Steve Harvey and his manager were Sean McDonald and his attorney, Attorney Anderson. And they encouraged me to just get a second degree because I was already getting my education paid for. So that's exactly what I did. And so what I would like to say is that any student out there, if I don't care if it's your counselor, your parent, your sibling, if they tell you that you're not good enough, don't listen to them. The only person that knows if we're good enough or not is God and ourselves and just pursue whatever is in your heart. Oh, that's so good. That is such, such good advice. Where, where do you think you got that confidence in yourself? Can that be taught where somebody tells you you cannot do something and then can you teach someone to use that as fuel and to actually add confidence to themselves do you think yeah i would say for me where my confidence came from is my parents ever since i was little my parents would tell me that i was beautiful that i was smart that i could achieve anything i wanted in this world that they were always going to support me and so when i went out in the world 
when they were home, I would feel invincible. I would walk out with my head high. Unfortunately, when they were incarcerated, I did start to take the opinions of others as if it were my own or if it were more important. But eventually I was able to get those negative people out of my life. And I just surrounded myself with people who knew what was inside of me and people who believed in me, like Steve Harvey and his manager and his attorney. So they became those positive reinforcements that I really needed when my parents were gone. So if anyone is dealing with not feeling enough or feeling like you can't achieve anything, and I would definitely suggest to seek mentors to help you because there's a community of people out there that really, really, really want to help and give back. Yeah, that's a great point to seek mentors. And you even see some of the biggest names, like you mentioned Tony Robbins. I'm a huge Tony Robbins fan. He has mentors. So even the people at the top are still getting mentors. I think that is really, really good advice. Okay. You've mentioned him. We gotta, I got to ask you about Steve Harvey. And you don't know this, but I saw him speak a couple years ago. One of the most powerful – I saw him just as a funny person because I think he's hilarious. But what a powerful, intense, incredible speaker he was. And can you tell us how, how that happens? How does a young 18-year-old get in front of Steve Harvey and how does that relationship form? How did you work with him for so long? It was definitely out of necessity. Um, I was suicidal when I was 18 years old and I had tried to commit suicide and I had zero period the next day at Mount Sac and I had to get up at, my alarm was at six o'clock in the morning for this new class. I had no idea who Steve Harvey was. I didn't um, listen or watch much TV or films back then because I was always busy working. But the alarm clock went off because I love hip hop and he was airing on a hip hop station out here called 100.3 The Beat. And I remember his first 12 minutes of the show was inspiration. And he ended up saying things that really, really touched my heart. And he said to all of the inmates that are incarcerated, some of you are not guilty and you're in there anyways, keep your head up and you will have your day one day. And he played a Kirk Franklin song uh, called Brighter Day. And I knew immediately, I felt a vibe. I felt something that was activated within me and I was like, you know what, I, I need to meet this man. I need to talk to him and thank him for giving me, you know, those 12 minutes of inspiration that made me feel like I didn't want to die anymore. And so one day when I was driving to zero period, he said that they were going to do an in-studio audience. And so he said to fax in. Back in the day, you had to fax, yeah. not email. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, I faxed in. And I still remember I was in class and I looked at my phone because it was ringing and it said 323, which was a Hollywood number. And I was like, oh my God, this is Hollywood. This is it. I got the ticket. So I just excused myself from the classroom. I told the teacher how to go to the restroom <laughs> and I, I got tickets. So the next thing I know, I have to be at this radio station at four o'clock in the morning. I was like, who's going to come with me at four o'clock? So I picked a friend and once I got in that studio, it was like, I had that small voice inside that I want everyone to pay attention to because that small voice said, this is where you're supposed to be. This is where you're supposed to work. This is your next chapter. And so I just, I was so antsy and I was like, okay, God, but how am I going to do this? And literally I was wearing a Roxy pink velour suit with, um, Etnies, which was so unprofessional at that time. Like, but I was 18 years old, you know, so 
I guess I was looking my age, but I remember the security guards when um, the show was over, they're like, everybody has to go to the right, to the elevators. And there was uh, two security guards. And I remember telling my good friend, um, please take my purse in case I get arrested. At least you could call my sister and tell her what happened because I'm going to get a job today. And so I waited for the security guard to turn his back and I just dashed through the door on the left because I knew that was the beginning of the radio station. And that's where Steve Harvey had left when he stopped the show. And so I went there and I just started asking everyone for a job. And uh, I encountered the general manager and I'll never forget his name. His name is Scorpio, this older white man. And he was so nice to me. He was like, young girl, he was like, how old are you? And I was like, I'm 18, but I go to college and I get straight A's and I'm really smart. And I promise that I'll be a great worker. Just please give me a job. And he was like, that's not how it works here. He was like, you have to start with an internship. And I was like, what is that? Because obviously they didn't teach me that in high school. <laughs> Long story short, I get the internship, but Steve Harvey rolls with his own team. So they gave me the shift of 10 to 2 p.m. But what they made the mistake of doing is they gave me a key card, which would allow me to get into the building and whatever I wanted. And the receptionist didn't get there until 9 o'clock in the morning. And so what I would do is I would go to work two hours early or to my internship at eight o'clock in the morning before anyone could come. And I would just go and hide in the little mail room where Steve and his team would be across from their offices. And I would just ask them if they wanted coffee. Can I go get you your food? Would you like me to escort some of these celebrities in or out? Is there any paperwork that you guys need sorted out? Just anything that I could do, I would do it for those two hours before my internship started. And I got away with it. No one knew that I wasn't supposed to be there. They just assumed that they had brought me in for Steve's team. And at the end of my internship, I remember I typed out a letter to Steve just telling him thank you because I literally felt like he had filled my gas tank up when I was already on E. And when we're on E, that's when we become suicidal, depressed. We feel like a better day is not going to come. And so I just simply wrote that in the letter. I said, thank you, because now I'm never going to try and commit suicide again. You've given me what I've needed. And I didn't put my email address. I didn't put my phone number because I didn't expect anything of it. I gave it to him. And to be honest with you, I used to sort through his fan mail and he never read it. And so I was thinking he's never going to read this letter, but at least I got it off my chest because I'm naturally a very shy person, and back then, even more so. So to think to even walk up to him and say thank you was just really difficult for me, but writing has always come natural. So the next thing I know, I hear him yell out my name in the hall, and he's like, LV. And I was like, oh, my goodness, because I had told him in, this, in the letter that my parents were in jail, and I had been taking care of myself, and that's why I was feeling so down. But, you know, now I feel better. But when he said that, I was like, oh, my gosh, what if I'm in trouble? What if he tells somebody that I don't have any real legal guardian and I'm just out here? And But it was different. He was like, come here. And he put his arm over my shoulder. And he said, how much are you making at your current job? And I had just been fired two weeks prior from my job because they told me it's your internship or your job because you're taking up too much of your time. And at that moment, I needed the internship because I would look forward to going there and meeting celebrities, getting in that vibe and just feeling alive. And at my job, I just felt dead. And so I decided to keep my internship. However, I didn't really eat for those two weeks because I didn't have any money. I didn't have parents to help me out. 
and when my friends would ask me at school because I was still playing volleyball at Mount San Antonio College, um, I would just be like, oh no, I'm not hungry, I'm on a diet, you know, I'm really trying to work on my body. Um, and so when Steve asked me that, I just told him how much I was making prior and I said, um, $300 and he said, I'm going to double your salary and I'm going to pay you $600 a week. But I was only making $300 every two weeks, but I didn't correct him. I was just like, Oh, awesome. Good move. Thank you so Good much. Move. <laughs> and so if you can imagine when you're 18 years old making $600 a week, I felt like I was bawling. I immediately went shopping to get corporate clothes because I didn't know how to dress. I got a new car and uh, I no longer had to worry about paying my bills or any of that. So that, that's how it started. And of course, I started at the very lowest in this company, answering phones, getting food, doing whatever they needed me to do. And thank God, um, after the nine years of working with him, once I resigned because my company was already full on blooming, having 14 clients. Uh, I was at the top of his company. I was the director of branding and publicity and I was making more money than any of the employees by far. So I will say that determination, not being shy, getting in there and doing what you have to do and always going above and beyond is what's gonna help us stay in a company. Oh my goodness. I, I don't even know where to start after you just said all that. I, I'm, but as you're, as you're speaking, Elvira, I can't help but think of how many amazing takeaways there were in what you just said. I mean, the one thing I wrote down was ask, right? You have to ask like you did when you went to the left and everyone's going to the right. You made a bold move. You did not get arrested, which we're all glad about. Uh, and, but then I also wrote down humble because it seemed like you were willing to do whatever it took, and you probably still are. I'm assuming you're the same way where maybe one day, even in a leadership position, you do go get the coffee or maybe, you know, you, you just do whatever it takes to help people around you succeed. And I think that's a huge sign of leadership. And then you seem like you play to your strengths very well. Like you said, maybe you were more shy, but you wrote probably an extremely powerful letter. So unbelievable takeaways right in there. That's, thank you for sharing that story. Can you give us some I don't know if it's a story or maybe what you learned from being that close to an iconic celebrity like Steve Harvey. Are there some takeaways you can share with us? Wow. I literally get chills because there's an infinite amount of wisdom and knowledge that I gained. I will say that I learned more working for him than I did going to USC, which says a lot. Um, I learned, first of all, to not waste my time watching TV. Uh, I need to focus on listening to audiobooks. I need to focus on listening to people like Earl Nightingale, Jim Rome, Les Brown, um, all of the greats. And I also learned that there's, there's a lot of power in silence. I remember when, um, because there was a time where I was Steve's personal assistant and I moved to New York with him and his manager and I was with them 18 hours a day and I got to see how he moved, how he worked. And instead of going home and turning on the TV and watching Sports Center, he would go home, sit down, look out the window, and just meditate on what had happened that day, what he still wants to achieve that day, what he wants to do tomorrow, what he wants to do next week. And he also taught me about vision boards. I remember when we first got to New York, we only had four radio stations underneath our belt. And his goal was to be Tom Joyner, which at the time he had 110 radio stations. So what he had me do was create, uh, print out a map 
and put a red dart on each station where Tom Joyner was. And every single time we got that market, we took a pin out. And we didn't finish until all of the pins were out. And by the end, um, once I left New York, we had 78 radio stations underneath our belt. And so I learned so much in addition to um, how to manage stocks because at the time, Steve kind of thought that I was a prodigy and he uh, gave me half a million dollars to invest in the stock market. And initially when I was in New York and initially I told him, I said, listen, I went to USC for law and politics. I didn't go for finance. I don't know who you think that I am, but I don't want to lose your half a million dollars because then I'm going to lose my job with you. And I don't want to do that. He's like, no, I believe in you. And it was a Friday. He was like, by Monday, we're going to invest the half a million and you better not lose me any money. And I'll give you a percentage of what you make. So I just remember immediately going to Barnes and Noble, doing what I do, buying all the Jim Cramer books that I could, all of the other investment books. And I remember, um, cause I was just right out of USC. So, uh, speed reading and creating a synopsis of books is something that I was really used to. And so I remember giving him the synopsis of the book. So he also knew what I was doing and why I was doing it. And thank God, uh, it went really well. So there, I mean, there's an infinite amount of things that I, that I learned from Steve and I'm really grateful. Wow. That is awesome that you got a chance to see I mean clearly a mentor of yours I mean he's a mentor of mine from a distance but to see how his daily habits are is there I was going to wait to ask you this but it's a perfect time to bring it up or is there one you mentioned meditation is is would you say that's the main habit or something you do every day that you learn from him that you do in your life every single day would you say meditation or or is there a different one I would say uh, waking up early before others. He always told me um, who, lazy people are not going to get anywhere in life. There's a difference between um, not exerting too much energy, but also there's a difference of just not giving your all. And that's something that I've taken away. And he would, I remember when we'd be going to the radio station and the car, he would say, all right, do you hear that? And I'd be like, no, Steve, everyone's asleep still. <laughs> there's no movement in the streets and he would be like exactly he's like we're up before they are which means we're going to achieve more than they do and he always taught me the same thing he said if you keep doing what you've been doing you're going to keep getting what you've always got if you want to upgrade your life you have to do something different and so waking up early is definitely something that i learned and also once again being in silence and i also learned just like he learned from mr ford if you're not the smartest person in a certain area or you're not as charismatic, hire a team that has what you're weak on. And so that's definitely something that I learned from him when I started my company. Um, for instance, I'm not great on phones. So I hired a girl that loves to be on the phone <laughs> and it just doesn't mean that, Oh, I feel sad about my weakness. No, I just know what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. So those are some of the things I learned from him. Wow, this is so good. I'm trying to I'm trying to be a student over here also and write everything down because you're teaching me a lot as I'm sure you are to the listeners and viewers. So, you've read a lot of books. You've clearly listened to a lot of audiobooks, which I'm a huge Jim Rohn fan myself. And in turn, you've been an author yourself more than one time. Can you tell us because I think I'm right in saying your first book was while you were still at USC, you were, or am I wrong? You were young, right? 
Yeah, you're correct. I actually wrote my first book um, right out of USC, and I wrote it because when we were living in New York, Steve would go on high school speaking tours, and I'm never going to forget we went to a school in Newark, New Jersey, and I had never seen a school like that that had metal detectors coming in, they don't have enough desks, the books are locked up because they think the kids are going to steal them or not bring them back or damage them, and I just remember hearing Steve's comments to the kids and you know everything that he did so that definitely motivated me to do what it is I'm supposed to do in my heart so I wrote a book uh, that would help the high school students and what I learned is that the average person reads at a fifth grade level and I knew that those kids definitely could not read a book by Jim Rohn or um, a Rich Dad, Poor Dad, or Think and Grow Rich because they'll read five pages, not understand it, and put it down. I knew that I had to write something where they could actually receive it. And the only person that I showed the book to at that time was Steve Harvey, and he loved it. He was like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. Um, but he did give me the guidance that I was very young, and it was going to be really hard for me to sell copies, and he told me to hold on to it and to one day release it. And that one book I still have, I have not released that book. Um, and the title was, or is, What Would You Attempt to Achieve If You Knew You Could Not Fail? Because I know it's something that kids really, really need to hear. Um, but the first book that I actually released was when I was 29 years old, and it was called Your Blueprint. And I wrote it because I watched a very, very inspirational speech by Dr. Martin Luther King, where he talks about your blueprint in life and how God already knew us before we got here. And no matter what, God tells us exactly what we're supposed to do. All we have to do is listen and follow our life's blueprint. And so I decided to write that book and it went extremely well. Oh, I love that. And you've written three books since then, correct? Correct. I, and you can, I mean, I, I want to hear as much detail as you want to talk about, but I definitely want to bring up the newest book, which I believe just came out a few months ago called The Day You Left. And I, I was fascinated by this because clearly it skews to a younger audience. And what was, can you tell us a little bit about what the book is about, why you decided to make it more of a, I guess you'd call it a children's book. Is, if that, is that fair to say? Yes. Yeah. Can you, can you tell us about it? Cause I'm, I'm fascinated to learn more. Thank you. Um, sure. So I do segments on Univision's morning show to motivate and inspire their viewers. And they, the executive producer let me know that uh, the suicide rate for kids from 7 to 17 is up 80%. And the suicide rate amongst adults right now is up 30%. And so I, of course, did the best four-minute segment that I could do, but I still didn't feel like I had done enough. And so I went to the beach, I prayed, I meditated, and I asked God what I could do because being a teen, being that demographic and knowing what it's like to try to commit suicide, not once, but a few times, I know what it's like and I wanted to help those people get out of that dark place, especially kids. And so I, once again, I do what I do best, and which is right. And so I wrote this book and I'm one of four children. However, my dad is the only one that stayed. So I grew up with three siblings where their dad was not a part of their life. So every Christmas, every birthday, every school um, graduation or celebration, when their dad wouldn't go, I would see their heart break and they would just go in their room or 
outlash in different ways. And so when I was thinking about what would be the best book to write in order to help those kids, and I decided to write that book because a lot of kids have maybe not just a dad that left their life, but maybe a mom that left their life, or maybe a mom that passed away because of illness, or a dad that died in, you know, fighting in a war. And so I decided to write that book for kids to really help them deal with their emotions. And also I wanted that book to kind of be like a blanket. So the next time your dad doesn't pick you up for your birthday and you're just out on the steps waiting, you go back, you grab that book, you read it again, and you realize that God is always with you. God is our father. And you know to be patient with your natural born father here because no one is perfect. And we can always mend relationships when they're ready because we never understand what they're going through. That is so powerful. And again, the book is called The Day You Left. Have you, and I know we're still in this pandemic, have you been able to, that just seems like if you get in front of the younger generation, they're going to respond in a positive way to this. Have you been able to get in front of schools or or maybe it'll be next year since it, it kind of came out during COVID or has, have you been able to speak to the younger people? Not yet, but what is truly incredible is that I've already been reached out to by three different schools, uh, one in Texas, one here in California, another one in Jamaica, and they reached out to me because they want the book in their school systems. And so the school here in California, it's actually a Catholic school. And one of the teachers gave the book to their priests. And once uh, they get it approved, they want me to go and do an assembly once the kids go back to school. And the school in um, Texas, they actually want me to do a viral teaching. And what I suggested is, is I would love to teach their students how to write their first book, which is something that I do because I also speak at juvenile halls and I know that writing is very cathartic and it's very healing. So if kids are going through something so dark and they can't speak it yet, they can at least write it and begin their healing process. So those are the things that I'm working on with this book that to be honest with you, God has brought to me and I'm very, very grateful. Oh, that is so awesome that you're now going to help other people start to write their first book or hopefully get them off the dead center and make a move to making that a reality. That is awesome. I'm actually, I wrote my first book about morning routines about two years ago. So I need to ask you a question because I don't know that I have a great answer to this. So I'm going to ask you because you've written four books. For someone listening or watching this right now, this podcast, and they're thinking, you know what, maybe I should write a book. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't. Do you have some piece of advice for them if they're on the fence to help them take the action? Absolutely. I would say that even if one person reads their book and decides to not take their life or decides to chase their dream, it will be worth it. Don't look at releasing a book for the money because it's never going to come in that way. Like Paulo Coelho says, when you release a book, it takes at least seven years for you to make your money back. And then based on word of mouth, that's when you start to see money coming in from it. So if you're writing books for the money, that's not the reason. Write a book because you want to help somebody get over an obstacle quicker than you got over it because perhaps you suffered a little too long. And when you've suffered, you know what it feels like and you no no longer want anyone to feel that way. That's what's really going to make you feel fulfilled at the end of the day. So I would say, number one, yes, write your book. Two, (laughs) don't be scared. And number three, 
don't take 10 years to finish it. I know so many past clients that have been writing a book for years, but because of their own anxiety, self-doubt, they're afraid that people are not going to receive the book while they don't release it. I would just say release the book. You could always release a second, third, fourth, fifth edition if you feel that changes are needed, but get the book out now. Oh, it's so good. I hope someone, I, you're talking about inspiring one person. I would bet you one person listening or watching that right there is going to help them make the first move and start writing the book. I hope it happens. Whoever you are, go for it. I love that advice. Okay. Yeah, I know. I love that. Okay. So now you, you've offered so much already. You've added so much value. I, I want to take a step back and then we'll get into the PR firm that is clearly you're rocking and rolling. Because you've, you've brought it up with the whole idea of suicide and you clearly had some uh, difficult times in your life. If there's someone, maybe not necessarily suicidal, but watching this, that's just having a tough time in life, which I'm sure a lot are given situations, coronavirus, et cetera, do you have maybe one simple piece that they could take from this and maybe start them on the path to turning things around? Definitely. Um, I actually have a few tips because I've studied this in depth. So if you're the type of person where your depression is already so bad, you can't get out of bed. Michael Strahan gave a great tip and he says to put on your favorite song. Something about that vibe will allow you to at least get out of bed. Uh, the next thing I would suggest is to work out. There's something about when you work out, your endorphins start to pump and you start to feel like, you're worthy, like you're working towards something and that definitely helps. Last but not least, I always say go to nature and once again, listen to all the inspirational audios. In the morning is not a time to listen to radio. It's not a time to watch TV. This is a time to get your mind set for the day. So listen to, like I always listen to the sayings, like I mentioned, Jerome, Les Brown, Earl Nightingale, Napoleon Hill. All of those are great people to listen to, to get you motivated and to get your mind right so that you could forget about whatever small thing may be boggling you and you think that it's the worst thing in the world, but in reality, you're just stuck in that moment. You just need to break that out. Uh. This is gold, Elvira. This is gold. And thank goodness I'm actually recording and I didn't screw it up. This is great. Okay, so you brought it up, so I have to ask, what's your, what's your go-to song? Do you have a song you listen to when you're feeling a little bit down? Well, wow, there's so many, but um, Kirk Franklin's Brighter Day is a great song to get you out of the bed. Um, I would say uh, Mark Anthony's Vivir Mi Vida. Oh, it, song. Yeah, um, I would say, let's see... Uh, Fred, anything by Fred Hammond, uh, Donnie McClurkin. Um, gospel music is really good because the messages in there and the vibration that they record the music at will definitely help you get out of that zone. I love it. Have you heard, because you brought up Kirk Franklin, he has a song, this is probably 20 plus years ago, called Stomp. Have you ever heard that of song? Of course. Oh, I love that song. And I love his song, Smile. Whenever I feel a little down after a meeting, I just put on Smile and I, that's it. My energy has oh. changed and I'm ready. I'm writing these down. Kirk Franklin's Smile. I'm going to get that as soon as we're done. That awesome. Is, that is great. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about the, so you're, you're with Steve Harvey. You have this internship that's turning into a job, I think. But then you also, at a young age, start this 
PR firm. How did this happen? And let's get into the little entrepreneur side of you, if that's okay, and, and walk us through why did you decide to start this company? Was it difficult? And how did things start in the beginning? It actually happened because Steve Harvey encouraged me. When I was living in New York with him and I was his personal assistant, he had a conversation with me. He said, Alvira, you did every position at my company and you've excelled. I know that I'm not going to be able to retain you much longer. What is it that you want to do for your life? What is your purpose? And when you ask a 21-year-old that whose parents just got out of jail, there's no way that I can have clarity enough to understand that. So for the entire year that I lived in New York, Steve would ask me every single day, Elvira, what do you do the best with the least amount of effort? And at some point, I would say like the third week, um, I told Steve, I was like, can you please give it a rest? You keep asking me this every single day. And for now, I'm comfortable writing underneath your wing, helping your brand, helping your companies expand, because right now I just don't know what it is for me. Um, but he didn't stop. He kept asking me every single day and he would send me on meetings to go meet people that he thought would inspire me. And so he sent me on a meeting to meet Steve Stout. Steve Stout uh, is a huge branding guru that represents people like Jay-Z, Justin Timberlake, Gwen Stefani. And what he does is, for instance, um, when Kodak and Justin Timberlake had a deal, he's the one who made it happen. When Jay-Z had a Budweiser deal, he made it happen. Um, and so I really love that aspect of the business, and I had never heard of a branding company. And then he sent me to another meeting with a woman named Marvette Brito, who was the top publicist in New York at the time. Her clients were people like Mariah Carey and the New York Knicks. And I remember when I went into her office, I just didn't, I hadn't met a powerful woman like that in Hollywood. But now living in New York, it's a completely different story. And so once I learned their businesses, I finally had the courage to one day tell Steve, okay, Steve, I think I know what it is. I like this woman's career and I like this man's career, but I can't decide. And he was like, well, why don't you do both? And I was like, well, because don't you have to do one or the other? He's like, no. He's like, look at what I do. He's like, I do radio, I do TV, I do you know, writing, I do whatever I want. You could do whatever you want. And so I decided to start my publicity and branding company and um, it flourished. Uh, I doubled my income within two months of working, I told Steve if I could, I actually tried to resign and he didn't let me. He said, absolutely not. He was like, but I'm, he was like, I'm gonna be one of your clients and um, I will allow you to move back to California because at that time my parents had just gotten out of uh, jail and I wanted to spend more time with them. And I imagine your parents just get out and you move across the country. And so he allowed me that. So I literally started my company in the second bedroom of my condo. And because my business grew so fast, I literally had to hire my friends and I had to train them on how to walk celebrities down the red carpet because I couldn't split myself in two if there's like different award shows going on. And so that that's how it happened. And I'm so grateful. And once again, I tried to resign a few times, which he didn't allow me to finally when I was 27. He was like, okay. And even then, two months after that, he asked me to please come backstage at the celebration of gospel for BET. And he tried to get me to work with him again. And I said, Steve, I can't. It's just too much on my body, too much stress. And I, I just can't do it. But if there's anything you need from afar, let me know and I'll be happy to help you. Wow. That is, there's so much in that story. It's just incredible. And I, 
I mean, as much respect as I had for Steve Harvey before talking to you, it's even higher now if that's even possible. I mean, what a leader where he's helping you grow and grow knowing that he's probably going to lose you. And now you're flourishing. This is, this is an incredible story. What, what's, what is a day in the life of Elvira like regarding the business side? Or, or is there a story you can tell us that kind of sums up what your job is either now or before COVID or a mixture of both? Sure. So typically in the mornings, I do my usual routines before COVID where I go to the mountains. I listen to my audios in the car to get my mind right. Once I get to the mountain, I leave my phone in the car and that's when I start my prayer on the way up the hill. And then on the way down is where I have meditation. Because as you know, prayer is when we talk to God and meditation is when God talks to us. And so before I start my day, before I answer emails, I need to get direction from my boss in order to know what to do that day. So once I'm done doing that, I come back home, I get on the treadmill, I answer all of my emails, do all of my social media posting, which is very important to inspire others using those platforms and not just using it to sell product or to complain about your life or to complain about whatever because we don't need that negative energy. Once I'm done with that, I focus on my stocks. Um, I'm also a day trader now and I, I work on that and it just depends, for instance, because um, now I'm working with people like John Sally or I'm working um, with Pineapple Express and we're hopefully going to be collaborating on a few cannabis events coming up. Um, uh, I go to their events. I help them with branding. And throughout the day, I have so many inquiries from people that um, want to work with me. So I'm literally on calls all day. And when I'm not doing that, I'm creating proposals. And I'm hoping that when this pandemic is over, I can get back to my normal life. Because typically I go to two to three events a week to mingle with my friends and celebrities and see what new business is out there. And honestly, the longer you've been in Hollywood, this is my 19th year, the easier it gets because there's just a very small pool of executives and people who can actually make moves. Wow, that's I love every part of that, especially the just seems like you have such a powerful morning routine that is non-negotiable and you get it done no matter what to set your mind, body, heart and everything ready for the day. So that's wow, that's all so good. And it sounds like a fun, intense, wild job that you have. And it sounds like you like every single second of it. So kudos to you for creating this out of nothing, right? Thank you so much. And I will say I, I had to create this because back when I was working with Steve, part of the reason why I resigned is I would have to be at the radio station at 3.30 in the morning. I wouldn't be done with works and uh, doing stock portfolios and all that stuff for like, until 10 p.m. And so that ended up taking a toll on my body. So when I resigned from Steve's uh, company the final time, it was actually because I was sick and I didn't want to tell him. I didn't want to tell anyone because when you own your own business, you're scared that if people know that you're not well, that they're going to drop you. And then what's going to happen to all the medical bills? What's going to happen to the business? And so I kept it quiet and I recovered. And now I just have a better way of living where I honor my health. I honor my body. And I honor this temple because if I don't take care of it, nothing will get done. Yeah, that's a really good point. Honoring the body. I, there's so much great content in here. I'm gonna have to play this back like 12 times. So this is gonna, this is so good. Okay, so you, I think you made a great point when you brought up your online presence and you do that 
not only for yourself, but mainly to inspire other people. Can you give some thoughts, perspective on someone who maybe they have an Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, and they don't really know, they want to inspire, they want to help, but they don't know where to start, what to do. Can you give a few tips for somebody like that? Because I know you're, you're a social media goddess. I mean, you're out there, you're cranking it out. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thank you so much. I actually have a formula that I share with all of my clients and I'll be happy to share with their viewers that really works. So um, there's four, four sections, right? 30% of your posts should be inspirational. Things that people need to hear in order for their day to go well. 30% should be business and 30% should be personal. And then the last 10% is miscellaneous. The reason is if you post all inspirational, you're going to bore people and you're going to seem like you're a wannabe guru when you're really also a business person and you're just a person of God trying to help others. If you do all business, people will think you're just money hungry and you just want their business. And if you do all personal, people think that you're a whiner, complainer, and all you're doing is just putting all your business on social media. However, if you use that formula, people think that they know you because you're sharing with them who, who you are. You're telling them about your business and how hard you're working and you're still finding time to inspire them. And what's going to happen is they're going to get addicted to going to your page because of that inspiration, because of that feel good. And also you want to show them that they can make it in life, that they could do anything. And so with that algorithm, it is the perfect way to go. And on good days, I do three posts a day. When I'm extremely busy, I do one or two, but I definitely make sure that uh, day one and day two, if I only do one post, I will always follow the algorithm and I'm never going to do two business back-to-back -back or two inspirational back-to-back. -back. That is that was worth the the time right there. I mean, what a great, I've never heard that before. And I know what you taught me. You taught me that I do way too much inspirational because I'm the first one that you said where it's 90% inspirational and there's, there's not enough uh, diversity. So thank you for sharing that. That's great, great, great advice from somebody who knows what they're doing, by the way. This isn't someone that is just starting in social media. She knows what she's doing. And now that we're talking about it, can you tell everyone how to find you on social media? It's a perfect lead-in. Definitely. I'm on Instagram. I am Elvira Guzman. I'm on Facebook, Elvira Guzman, and also LinkedIn, Elvira Guzman, and Twitter. So anywhere you message me, I will definitely read your messages and respond. Definitely check it out. She does an amazing job. E-L-V-I-R-A Guzman is G-U-Z-M-A-N. Check it out for sure. One last question and then we'll roll into the final five because I'm sure you got 37 other things you got to do today. So we'll let you go. But I know that you talk about purpose a lot and can you, I guess this is a twofold question. Can you share with us what, not what you feel your purpose is, what is your purpose? And then some thoughts on how somebody can find theirs if they haven't really figured out what direction they want to go. Definitely. So my purpose in life is to awaken others. And I do that through books, through social media, through speaking engagements, TV and radio. And that's something that I didn't make up. God told me that. And I know exactly what it is. But in order for me to have received that message, I needed to be completely clear. And I did a fast. And with fasting, as you know, you get immense clarity. And that's how I was able to discover not 
find out because our purpose has always been the reason why God sent us here. And whatever our purpose is, it, we already have everything inside that we need in order to fulfill it. And what I would say to someone who doesn't know what their purpose is, it, it's very simple yet complex to discover when you have a lot of chaos in your life. So number one, I would say do a fast, get some clarity. Number two, do not surround yourself around people who are negative and who do not know their purpose in life. And three, I would say that you have to talk to God and ask God, God, why did you send me here? What is my calling? What is my purpose? And God will tell you, perhaps not in that moment, but God will show you what it is. And you have to also remember when you're doing your purpose or something that's associated to your purpose, because a lot of people think my purpose is just one thing, but no, you could have a lot of small little purposes that lead up or that help your main purpose. Right. And so you have to understand that when you're doing your purpose, nothing else matters. You could be doing it for hours and time just flies by and you're like in a zone and nobody could break that zone. That's how you know you're doing what God sent you to do. And when you feel that, you have got to pursue it. Because let's just say, for instance, you work at the airport and you're, you're the person that checks people in. But God has been telling you inside that you're a motivational speaker. I would never say quit your daytime job and just do your purpose because at the beginning, you're not going to make any money from your purpose. There has to be a transition period. And in my second book, I actually give an example of what the six month transition should look like. So for instance, at the beginning, you're going to start to do your purpose, let's say 25% of the time. So you're going to go do speaking engagements. They're not going to pay you, but you're going to get practice. Soon you're going to do that 50% of the time. You're going to start to get a small payment. Next, it's going to be so demanding that now you're not going to have to, you're not going to want to go to your other job and you're going to be saving this income. But I always say, do not stop the two work. I always say your purpose at the beginning is your second job. Don't be lazy from six to 10. That is your purpose time. And so once you fully make the transition and now you're getting so many inquiries to come and speak all over the world, that's the beginning of it. And that's when you let your job go and then from that you could also like i said there's other things you could do to generate revenue writing books helping others to be motivational speakers being a motivational coach so there's tons of things that you could do but the transition is very important to understand because i've known people that discover their purpose and they quit their job and then they're in trouble god did not say quit your job god was just reminding you what you're supposed to do that is, that's great. I appreciate you sharing that. And from somebody who's lived that exact life as well. So not only do you have the knowledge, you have the experience. So that's great advice. And just so everybody knows, what's the name of the book where you go into detail about that? Purpose, Awaken and Succeed. Purpose, Awaken and Succeed. That is awesome. I, I can't thank you enough. I have to ask you before we get into this final five, what is next for Elvira? Is there something on the horizon that you're just stoked for or what's going on? 
Definitely. I'm in talks with several networks to have my own talk show. And I have two other shows that I have developed to inspire and motivate others. And uh, one is called Hiking with the Stars, where I go hiking with a celebrity. And I talk to them about the real questions. How did you overcome this obstacle? How did you overcome uh, depression? Or what happened when the hundredth person told you no in Hollywood? How did you get back up again and go for the hundred and first person and finally get that yes. So uh, I'm really excited about that. I'm hoping that we could start in pre-production after this COVID pandemic is over, but I'm really looking forward to that. Oh, that sounds like so much fun. And you have to keep me posted so I can share with my audience that we can tune in and watch that because that sounds like a ton of fun. And okay, now just because I'm curious, who's, I don't want to say the best, but is there a celebrity that stands out not including Steve Harvey, because we know we know how awesome he is, that you've worked with that is just just lit you up and was an amazing individual? Uh, definitely. I would say Halle Berry. Uh, when I met her, I thought that she was going to be a diva, like how Mariah Carey was when I met her. And uh, to the contrary, Halle Berry is extremely humble. She's kind. She's a hard worker. And she is in it to help others. I, At the time, I was contracted by Lionsgate Film to um, manage their press junket. And Halle had to do 26 interviews back to back. And if you've done at, at least five interviews back to back, you start to get annoyed because you get asked the same questions about the film but what she taught me is that you you have to pretend like it's a, a brand new person and you answer the questions with so much enthusiasm because every person is so excited to meet you by interview 10 you don't want to be like oh my god you're asking me this again or oh what is this about and so in addition to that I will also say that I love how honest she was because the movie that I did the publicity for is called Frankie and Alice, where it talks about schizophrenia. And she talks about the reason why she wanted to do that film was because her father is mentally ill and how her mom met her dad. And so we were able to have a great conversation because like I mentioned at the beginning, my uncle committed suicide because he was bipolar. And when I went to USC, I wanted to study it and I actually wrote a 20 page paper on it. So when it comes to talking about mental illness, I love to hear people being honest and raw because a lot of times they don't want to admit that there's mental illness in their family because then people will judge them. And so I will definitely say that Halle Berry is one of the best, most humble and kindest celebrities I've ever met. Wow, that is a really cool story. And it's great to hear that somebody at her level is that down to earth, humble and so nice. So thank you for sharing that. All the Halle Berry fans are pumped to hear that one. <laughs> That's cool. Well, I, I appreciate your time, Elvira. It's time to hit you with the final five. Are you ready? I'm ready. By the way, I just want to share this with everybody. I, I normally send questions out to whoever I'm interviewing. Not only did Elvira not want to see them because she wanted it to be totally organic, but like the way that this is just a conversation, she knows nothing about what I'm going to ask her. And it's just, it, I think it makes it so much more conversational and you got a lot of guts for doing that as well. And I appreciate that. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. So you mentioned the social media. Is that the, is there, is that the best way if somebody wants to follow your journey? 
definitely. I post every single day and I'm very active on there. And I'm also big on trying to help others. So if anyone is going through a really difficult time in life and they want to get guidance, I'll be more than happy to review it. And, it, and when I do have time, I'll create a video or I'll send them a message back. Oh, that's very cool. Okay. You got to, everybody got to follow along because she awesome, awesome on social media and clearly awesome in person, kind of in person, virtually in person. <laughs> She's awesome as well. Okay. Here we go. Number one, final five. How do you want to be remembered? As a person who helped awaken a lot of people and guided them back to God. Mm, I love it. What are you most thankful for? my journey, my failures and my successes, because all of that helped me get to where I am today. A lot of people only like to think and thank their successes, but they forget that failure also helps refine us. It helps us get closer to where we're supposed to be. And I would just say to, you know, give yourself a little grace. I know I give myself a little grace whenever I make a mistake or whenever I think that perhaps one of my characteristics is uh, bad. No, God made us perfect. And let's just say, for instance, with me, I, I think that I have a strong character. And sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, Elvira, did you have to be so strong? And then God reminds me, yes, you did. You had to be so strong in order to overcome everything you have. So never think that you're too strong. You're exactly who you're supposed to be. Mm, so good. And I think you're the first person to be the most thankful for a failure, which I think is a great takeaway. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, okay, my favorite question. If anybody listening or watching meets you or sees you at a wedding reception or some sort of dance venue, what is Elvira's best dance move on the dance floor? Oh, I'm a salsa dancer for sure. So I've taken classes in LA, New York, and Atlanta when I lived there. And when I dance salsa, it is spiritual. And if you look at the word salsa backwards, in Spanish, it means to raise up, to uplift. So no matter what you're doing, if you feel bad, put on some salsa music and just start dancing and I promise you'll feel better. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know what? You just inspired me because I do these little 5 a.m. dance parties and I've never had a salsa song on. So I'm going to give it a shot this week. You're going to see something hilarious. I'll give, I'll give it a try. Awesome. <laughs> okay. Listen to Hector Laveau. Hector Laveau is incredible. Wait a second. Hector, how do you spell the last name? Laveau. L-A-V-O-E. I'm on it. I'm going to look him up. Yep, and him and his crew actually created the genre of salsa back in the 70s. So you're going to really love researching him and listening to him. Soon as we're done, I'm on top of that. And I hope the <laughs> listeners and viewers do the same because uh, maybe we can all post a salsa video of ourselves, especially if you do not know what you're doing. That would be pretty entertaining. <laughs> For sure, who cares? <laughs> okay, what is the biggest obstacle you have overcome? And I want to acknowledge you because clearly you've overcome a lot of them and it's been impressive to see the person you've become even through a lot of setbacks. So is there, do you have a biggest one that you've overcome? I would definitely say when I got sick, um, they discovered a tumor on my right ovary the size of a grapefruit and they didn't know if it was going to be cancerous or not. And I was 26 years old and I was at the time filming a show for BET. And I remember I thought that I was invincible because movies and TV shows make you feel like 
people in their 20s don't get sick. This is when you're, you're supposed to be meeting the love of your life. You're supposed to start to have children. And so when the doctor told me that, uh, me getting married was out of the question because how can I marry someone and not know if I could have their children or not that I didn't think that that was fair and also I didn't know if I was going to survive and so I remember the doctors told me to shut down my Hollywood office um, to get rid of as many employees as I could because they wanted to reduce my stress they said any clients that I had that caused me stress to, to eliminate them and I was still a bit in denial I did what they said and I'll never forget when I got out of surgery I told the doctor and I was like, okay, I'm ready to go because we're going to be filming at BET today and I'm doing um, a segment and this, and they're like, do you not understand what just happened to you? And I was like, no, I was like, I need to go take this catheter out and all this stuff. And they're like, Alvaro, you can't walk. You can't move. They're like, watch, try to move. And I couldn't lift my legs. I couldn't move my body. And for the first time I knew that, that I wasn't invincible that I, I needed to honor myself. And so I, for the next, from 26 to 29, I was in a very dark, dark place because when they removed it, more kept growing. And there was a time where I wanted to give up. I wanted to just say, you know what, I'm done with these doctor visits every three months and you know I, I just keep getting worse news and I, I just want to forget it and I just remember at that moment, I once again, I go to what I know, which is God, and I said, God, I know that you could do all things and I need you to heal me. I can't do this anymore. This is too much stress. And I remember I took a trip solo to the Dominican Republic. It was a spiritual trip because I wanted to be alone. I wanted to talk to God. I wanted to have those moments in silence. And I had a very spiritual experience there. And that's how I actually wrote my first book, Your Blueprint, in two days. And I was in a zone. You couldn't break me out of it. I, I wouldn't eat. I wouldn't move. I wouldn't drink anything. I was just typing away. And that's when I knew that that's what I was supposed to do in life. Once I came back, it was like a new world. I had awakened. It was my final awakening. I seen everything. I felt like the sun was brighter. I felt like the colors were more beautiful. But that, that obstacle definitely was the hardest. But I will say that I think that obstacle the most, the most, because now I eat right, I exercise, I eliminate negative people from my life. Whenever I had negative thoughts, I know that that will send signals to my body that will begin to decay. So I immediately say, delete, next stop. I'm not going to deal with that today. And so I will say that that's the worst, but it's also been the best. Wow. I can't believe all that you've done and been through and overcome. And writing a book in two days in itself is insane. I mean, that's amazing. Good for you. Thank you. Oh, wow. Okay. Last one is, who is your hero? The first answer I have is my mom. My mom is an extremely strong individual. Uh, she is kind. She, she's To me, she's like a saint on this earth. Uh, growing up, they had a spiritual store, and I would see people coming into the store, sometimes possessed, sometimes um, their wife was cheating on them or whatever or somebody had an illness and they couldn't afford going to the doctors my parents would sell teas and prayers and candles and they would do anything that they could and i just remember seeing people walking in looking just sad and bad but by the time they left my mom has a way to switch that energy to make you feel like you could do it and i would see that the way that they left so for me my mom is my hero because 
that's what I strive to do. Every single person that I encounter, if they're having a bad day, I want them to have a better day. And also a little tip that my dad has taught me as well, because he's also very positive. He says that when he and my mom go walking every morning, that he typically doesn't say good morning to others. He was like, but when I see someone with a frown on their face, he's like, I say good morning and I smile. He's like, you don't understand how much that will change their day. He's like, it doesn't matter if they say good morning back. It doesn't matter if they give you a dirty look. You're letting them know that somebody cares about them and that's going to make a difference. So I would just say my mom and my dad are definitely my heroes. That is great. And, and that is such a simple but powerful thing. Just the good morning with a smile. That could change. You're right. Because I've had people do that to me and it can... I can feel like I'm on cloud nine for the next four hours because one person did that. That's a great example. And I, these have all been amazing examples. Thank you so much for your advice and your insights and your stories and your experience. This has been, I hope everyone else watching and listening has felt as much value added as I have because this has been special. And I thank you so much, Elvira. Awesome. Thank you so much, Matt. You are an incredible interviewer. I've had an amazing time and I just hope that your show continues to grow because I know you're doing a great thing for others. So thank you and congratulations. Well, yeah, thank you for saying that. And next year, let's do it again because I'm sure you're going to have a, a new book and speaking engagements and be ruling the world. So I want to make sure <laughs> I get you on now while we can. Definitely. We'll make it happen. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Elvira. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Living the Dream with Matt Scaletti. I'm so grateful for you. Please share this podcast on your social media so others can benefit from this valuable content. Also, please subscribe to my podcast because if you aren't, I am watching you. <laughs> Check me out on social media and message me if you need me as your keynote speaker at Matt Scaletti on social media. I respond to all messages. Thanks, and I love you so much. Oh,